Good morning, the expanded version of Steve Dale's Pet World. Dr. Natalie Marks is back on WGN. I'm so excited to talk to you. I want to talk about the best of 2022 for our pets from a veterinarian's perspective. So what do you think we lead off with? I have lots of ideas in my head. What would you say are one, and not necessarily in order, but one of the most important stories? Did I say that officially? You did. I mean, you know I'm a little biased about my favorite diseases out there, right? So I'd have to bring up Chicago's, what are we, six years in a row? Yeah. Name the rattiest city in the U.S. Not by any means, because that's the best, unless you're a rat, right? But um, certainly for our dogs, this is incredibly important news for us to continue to talk about leptospirosis. Well, dogs and our kids as well, which I'm sure you'll explain. So what is leptospirosis and what do rats have to do with this? Yeah, so this is and continues to be the number one zoonotic disease worldwide. So that means potentially transmissible from animals to humans. It's a bacterium. It lives inside a lot of different rodents, the rat being the number one, but also raccoons and squirrels and possums and all kinds of other urban wildlife that we see. And they urinate this bacteria out into standing water sources. So that could be puddles in an alley, or if you have a poor draining yard, or at the dog beach, dog park water bowls, those ones that are sitting out in front of storefronts, or just on the street, right? Our dogs either lick that directly or step in it and lick their feet. And then we end up with transmission of this life-threatening disease. If untreated and undiagnosed, it causes liver and kidney failure and a lot of other bad stuff in the body. And dogs can die. They absolutely can. And it puts our families, like you mentioned, at risk inside the home. Right. So explain the connection there. It's called zoonotic when people can get sick too. Explain how that works. Yeah, so if these dogs urinate inside the house, and what we see a lot of times with lepto is this is puppies. So it's often mistaken by some families that, you know, my dog's just not doing great with potty training. Um, Or they're older and they're having accidents infrequently in the home. When we have toddlers crawling around on the ground and putting their hands into everything and then putting those hands into mouths or immune suppressed individuals or um, pregnant women or other people in that category, they can unfortunately be exposed to transmission of leptospirosis. And while thankfully it doesn't happen that often, the possibility is definitely there. And we do hear of humans being infected uh, from their pets. It, it, It is a possibility. So as a public health officer and a veterinarian, It's really my job and my colleagues' jobs to make sure that our dogs are as protected as possible, and the best strategy by far is through vaccination. What about at this time of year? So you may have noticed it's cold outside, (laughs) and there's snow on the ground, not too much water, although some people still take their dog to Dog Beach. That's not frozen yet. Uh, Can dogs still get leptospirosis? Oh, absolutely. I mean, snow is a great thing that dogs like to eat too. And we know our rodents urinate on there. But, you know, we can see this in dogs that are just communal because dogs can also shed this bacteria in their urine. Yeah, I want to talk Mm -hmm. about that. So if a dog goes to the bathroom just outside the dog park or in the dog park or in any park and then your dog comes along and your dog is not vaccinated, that dog was not vaccinated who may have lepto and may have no symptoms. There are some dogs that don't or may not yet be showing those symptoms. So the people have no idea who have that dog. 
can your dog, are you following all this? I got it. (laughs) Can your dog actually get leptospirosis? Yes, your dog can get lepto from another dog. Because as you mentioned, there are these, they're called a lot of different names, but we'll just call them carrier dogs. So dogs that look totally healthy and normal, but have, just like rats, this bacteria inside their body that they are shedding. So it's coming out in their urine. And we know dogs are very nosy and curious creatures when it comes to other dogs' urine. Um, And it's not uncommon for them to be in very close communal ways at the dog parks or in puppy play yards or your, you know, condo dog run or at family get-togethers, right? Especially the holidays where a lot more people are traveling with their pets. So very, very important to remember that it's not just the rodents around the city, but it's also other dogs. And as a veterinarian, my best strategy, not only to protect your family, is to vaccinate Again, those dogs that are at risk, but also for community health. It's really critical that we stop the shedding of this so that less dogs are at risk and less families are at risk. All right. So that's one thing. The next thing I want to talk about, I have something, and you tell me if it's a big story for you, and that is long ago or a couple of years ago, Chicago said, no more dogs or cats can be sold at pet stores. The state of Illinois said that. Now there are six states As New York State, which is very important in a lot of ways, Mm -hmm. just said, us too, uh, their governor, Kathy Hochul, signed a bill saying, yeah, no dogs or cats can be sold at pet stores in New York State. Is that, would that be on your list? Oh, for sure, Steve. I mean, I think... Of all the people, right, you, you, most importantly, um, this has been a big um, gauntlet uh, to navigate and thankfully obstacle to cross for a lot of the animal welfare and um, just kind of the advancement of the betterment of pets, right, in general. I think it's critical that pet owners are aware of what was kind of the underworld, right, of the, the pet store industry. Um, and the fact that Chicago led the way and other large name states are following, I think, is hopefully momentum that will continue into 2023 for other states to join in this effort that we really want to make sure that pets, especially dogs that are coming into this world, are done in the way that we would hope to be done with respectable breeders and through respectable routes of sale. You know, I don't know that you know this, but 10% of America's pet stores that sell dogs and cats are in New York State. And that's a significant number. It is. So why are we even talking about this? As a veterinarian, when you saw a dog, usually, sometimes a kitten, come from a pet store, did you kind of sometimes cringe? And sometimes, if not often, often is probably a better word, note issues that you otherwise may not see in dogs or cats? Well, unfortunately, I have to say yes. Um, I mean, you just bringing that up, I sort of, I don't know if you saw, I got a little twinge in my neck of of remembering very um, often, very sad uh, stories, not just because these were puppies, typically puppies, I would say more often than kittens, but definitely saw kittens, um, that were bred to... um, different breeds that probably shouldn't be bred together um, Mm -hmm. into proportions that are not considered standard um, and with typically a a higher risk of genetic abnormalities, some of which could not be corrected and set this patient up for um, either a shorter life or much less quality to life. But the hardest part um, always was the discussion with the family who uh, 
purchase this puppy a lot of times a lot of money a lot of money but with you know often ignorance no idea to what they were investing in um there's often an an immediate emotional attachment as we know the human animal bond um it doesn't take long for that to form and strengthen and then to have to say well there's going to be another large financial investment to try and even establish health in this puppy Um, prognosis often isn't good and then some of these puppies unfortunately had life-threatening conditions and were lost within days or weeks of purchase which is just devastating because, as you know, uh, also, many of these purchases are around special occasions, like mm-hmm. the holidays or birthdays yeah. or milestones. And um, that leaves a hole that you you just can't erase, right? These are memories that are imprinted forever and certainly um, disrupts and kind of hypersensitizes that family to their next family pet, which to me, the whole reason I became a veterinarian is because of the human-animal bond, because I get to be part of both both sides of it. And so to see close families, um, clients that have become friends uh, often go through this um, is is really fatiguing um, and really, really, really hard for the veterinary industry to watch as well. So we go through that with them. We live through that pain with them. And it um, this is uh, I'm right with you, Steve. I mean, I think this is this is the only way forward. And hopefully more states will watch this very intently. All right, more with Dr. Natalie Marks, the incredibly articulate Dr. (laughs) Natalie Marks, when we come back here on WGN. Dr. Natalie Marks is here on WGN, Steve Dale's Pet World, and we're talking about the big veterinary pet-related stories of 2022. I can't believe I'm saying Dr. Marks 2022. <laughs> I know. It's crazy. It is crazy considering how many times, how many years we've been doing work together, Steve. I'm, I'm really starting to age myself here. <laughs> well, how about me? That's not right. I won't even talk about how many years I've been on WGN radio. So let's go to the next story. Just like human medicine, veterinary medicine continues to advance. And I'd argue in some ways ahead of human medicine. I want to talk about artificial intelligence and and what that even means first of all because that's a term bantied around a lot Mm -hmm. so give me an example in veterinary medicine about how that is happening right now as we speak oh well i i'm a huge proponent of forward movement of technology which as an industry we often aren't as much but there's been so many cool things that have happened that really help us as veterinarians do better medicine for your for your pets, but also on the flip side, help pet parents be much more engaged and medically aware of what's happening at home. So you asked about AI, which is what we call artificial intelligence. One cool way that this has come into our world and our animal hospitals is through what's called digital cytology. So as an example, Steve, let's say on our, your sweet little girl, Hazel, let's say I find a lump Okay, Mm. and I'm concerned and I want to know what's going on and be able to tell you, do we need to worry or um, is this just a benign entity? Can I back up one step? Yeah, of course. Uh, Because this is yet another it's an opportunity for me to say, don't only pet your dog, but feel your puppy because I'm a huge proponent, as you know, of veterinary visits actually twice a year, more than once a year, where your veterinarian who's the expert at palpating or determining whether your dog might have lumps or bumps and what they might be. I think pet parents are, because you're with your pet every day. That's right. And I'm 
I'm a big proponent, like you, of being handsy, right? Touching everywhere. Because it's not only to identify things, but being uh, both of us big proponents of behavior and certainly fear-free medicine, it's a great way to desensitize your dog to being touched in places that they will be touched during an exam so it makes it less fearful and less stressful for them. But let's say hypothetically, Mm -hmm. you were being handsy and you found this lump, right? Um, Being handsy with my dog, you mean. That's right. If in the past, okay, and and I'm saying recent past, if that was the case, I would take a sample, send it out to a lab. We'd have to wait days to -hmm. figure out exactly what was going on with Hazel, which is stressful for families. It's stressful for me. Um, Sometimes it's inconclusive. We have to do it again. So we're waiting and waiting, which could be valuable time. Now we have what's called, again, digital cytology and blood smears that we can run on the same machine, which allow me to take a sample, submit it over over essentially an upload. So I send it um, in the cloud and it gets read and get and a result back to me on my computer, which I can show you on your smartphone within two hours. Which is incredible. And it's the, absolutely incredible. And, and not only is it important for you as a veterinarian, I suspect, to get uh, something that is going to likely be more efficient as far as the the reading, the information you're getting. And as you mentioned, the client doesn't have, because it's so nerve-wracking if you think there might be a problem. But in addition to that, then most importantly... Potentially, if there's treatment needed, you can start it. Absolutely. And the other piece about AI that I want to bring up here is part of the reason for AI is to speed up the process, right? A computer can often do things a lot faster than we can as humans. But we're also improving the accuracy, right? So that computer is actually scanning my smear of whatever is those cells are that I've taken out of Hazel's lump. And they already know what certain cells look like, what shapes they are, what colors they are, um, the diameter, all that kind of stuff. So they're screening and looking, which also gives us increased accuracy because we know there is always human error. So I can feel more confident even in the results. I can start treatment. I can give you a prognosis. I can say, hey, Hazel's still with me. Let's keep going. We can have a lot of different options that I think prove that proactive medicine is the way of the future. And so I absolutely love AI. That's just one example. Many more ways, including through imaging, like radiographs, that we're starting to use this as well. X-rays is what you mean, and that's incredible too. You know, you mentioned cancer. I want to talk about genomics a little bit and how this has changed. I mean, cancer for our pets is not a death sentence anymore. It's no news you want to hear, but as our pets are living longer than ever before, my guess is it's news you're delivering more often than ever. Well, it is. Um, and while nobody ever likes to hear that word, and certainly no veterinarian likes to deliver that word, the optimism here is that based on a, improvements not only in screening and diagnostic, t- diagnostic testing, but also the interpretation of those tests to get a much more individualized treatment plan has led us down the road of our dog's surviving longer times of remission, having less side effects because the chemotherapy or the targeted therapy 
um, can be much more truly targeted versus broad and affecting all parts of the body, including the cancer cells. So dogs can go through this much more comfortably. And it allows us, like I, like I mentioned, to be able to actually sometimes achieve remission, whereas in previously, and, and again, not so distant um, past, we were sort of thinking, gosh, you know, I've got one option. It's not great. And maybe we'll get three months. Whereas now, we might have several options and the ability to give people several months to even years, which in in the canine and feline world, when you say cancer and years of survival, that's almost unheard of. So we're, we're seeing tremendous advancements. And um, I'm really excited for the future because there's so much work being done in this space, specifically, as you mentioned, genomics, which is looking at each dog's individual gene makeup, very similar to what they do in humans now. And not only seeing when they are diagnosed with cancer, which genes are there that we can manipulate through different therapy, but also which dogs are at risk of development of cancer in the future, which I think is even more critical. Amazing. It's amazing to think this is... So when you first went to veterinary school three years ago, and and you... I mean, did you ever think that these things, all of what you're talking about with me, would be possible? No. I mean... You know, as an industry, I, I think that we often um, take a lot of the human research that didn't make the human market and it, it just kind of trickles down and we sort of try to do something with it. That's sort of been the general plan. But we are seeing so much more therapy um, in the oncogenics, oncogenomic space that is truly coming out of the veterinary industry first. So not only is it amazing for our patients and families, but it makes me really proud to be a veterinarian. Well, and there's more amazing news, and we'll talk about that when we come back, including the way pain is being looked at in our companion animals, as well as what you can do today, which I'll tell you, there's been a change from 2022 even to 2023, and we'll talk about that when we come back on WGN. After the news, more of Dr. Natalie Marks. Coming up next week on the show, I'm so looking forward to this. We are going to talk about pain in cats. And the question I have is, how can you tell your cat is in pain? And you might be surprised. It's not easy. Cats are magicians. They're masters at hiding pain. And now there's a new product, a new drug that is amazing. It's the best thing for cats since tuna. And I'll talk about what that is about next week. Dr. Natalie Marks is here. We're talking about the best story, the very best stories of 2022. And I mentioned pain. You are not old enough, but you're aware of this, Dr. Marks. At one time, and you're guilty, not you, but your predecessors in veterinary medicine, there was a time, and it wasn't that long ago, it was a while ago, but not that long ago, when veterinarians actually did not treat pain in dogs or cats. If you go back long enough, because they felt, oh, pets don't feel pain. And then because, well, they don't recover as quickly if there's if they feel pain. So let's have them. Do you know what I'm talking about? Uh, sadly, I do. Yeah. Because yeah. I my very first job, in the, and I can safely say, and be so I could distance myself, this was several decades ago. My very first job, um, I very distinctly remember a dog coming um, out of anesthesia after a spay, and looking very obviously uncomfortable. And the one of the team members there saying, oh, good, she's painful. That means she won't move, so she'll get better or faster, meaning that she won't disrupt her incision. And certainly I'm a very, very young girl at that time. And 
didn't think much of it, but enough to remember that doesn't seem to make a lot of sense. And and the fact that you remember that even today is it must have been a prof- it must have had a profound effect on you. It did. Um certainly because I, I you know I can remember walking past that that dog's run many times that day. Certainly I was uh, I was a kennel assistant and didn't have the authority to do much at that time but just really questioning what that really meant. Um I am so so grateful to say that that is a myth of the the past and and we have made as you mentioned exponential strides in the ability to not only identify pain understand pain pathways but as we've talked about with cancer therapy there have been astronomical advances in pain targeted therapies that are safer much more effective and also are um, just on the horizon to to really showcase why pain needs to be treated. We we have a much better understanding of not just what acute pain does, but what chronic pain can do in a pet's body, not just human body, right? We, we, we hear about that quite a bit, but we're getting a much better understanding of what chronic inflammation from arthritis does to multiple parts of the body, and certainly not just the quality, but quantity of life that can be shortened because of chronic pain. You know, and you and I can have hours of conversation on this just this one topic but there's two things i want to talk about one is how to discern how much pain that pet is in so cats are extraordinary at masking pain dogs often do as well actually so how do we know they can't tell us and the improvement so you let's say you're treating a pet for pain uh in january but by march how can you tell if there's improvement certainly Clients these days also can video, which is, I know, something you encourage, that pet at home. There are other ways of determining, such as x-rays and and all of that. But now there is a cutting-edge way to determine how much pain that pet is in, and then you can try it a few months later to see, okay, is there really improvement? It's called the pain trace. Right, and it's a... Um, a, n- a new technology that essentially looks at how our body, so in this case, a, a cat's body, if we're talking about that, um, has a signaling pathway to actually quantify how much pain that patient is in when we are doing different manipulations. So raising up the neck or flexing the neck, um, moving different joints, watching the cat walk or jump. Um, and while it needs, of course, an, a very critical component of that is a veterinarian or a veterinary professional um, doing this at the same time so that we can see when the right shoulder was extended, we we saw a peak. Or when that cat jumped, wow, look, look at that trace. And we can certainly start to correlate what that means. Um, but as you mentioned, it not only can diagnose, but it also can monitor serial measurements to determine if our therapy is working. You know, Steve, before we go any further, though, I'm so glad you bring up cats first, because there's a couple big myths real quickly I want to bust about pain in cats. And I think you'll agree with me here, too. The two biggest concerns that I get from pet parents that they aren't aware that this is their cat in pain. The first is they're thrilled that as their cat gets older, they're not jumping on the counter anymore. (laughs) Right? Yes. They're like, oh my gosh, you know, Fluffy finally learned that she shouldn't be on the kitchen table. And they get, I think these clients get kind of sad when I'm like, Actually, not not in agreement, um, because you would agree, right? That is one of the first things that we see 
when a cat is starting to show signs of potential arthritis is that the cats love to be vertical. They would prefer to live in vertical spaces when they aren't doing that. The first thing I think about is pain. We know arthritis is incredibly prevalent in cats over nine years of age, so even younger. Well, even yeah, so let me let me stop you about a couple things. First of all, I recall uh, on this very radio show, I took a phone call, and uh, I've since gotten phone calls like this, but I remember that one phone call to this day. A uh, listener calls in. It was a, a woman who called in and said, My cat, I finally learned, Stephen, I need to share your this information with you and your listeners how to keep cats off counters and uh she's i said okay she said just say no 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 enough times and the cat will understand it and i said how old's your cat and she said 11 or maybe it was 12 i said would you do me a favor because she said it happened over the course of a couple of weeks i said would you do me a favor please just do me a favor go to your veterinarian and tell your veterinarian that story. And she didn't know what I was talking about. And I said, let me call you in a week. Well, I did call her back in a week. We put her on the radio. And she said, Steve, uh, my veterinarian prescribed a non-steroidal anti-inflammatory. I don't remember which product it was. And uh, can you help me? I said, what do you mean? My cat's jumping on the counter. (laughs) Of course, right? Because that cat feels good again. So I, I really want pet parents to be aware that we both, have heard these stories many, many times over the years that that is a key thing to watch. The other is when your cat stops grooming because cats are much better at yoga than any human, (laughs) right? And so think about it. If you are, have been super flexible your whole life and as you start to age, like I'm feeling in the morning and it's not as easy to touch those toes and it's not as easy to do some of these um, yoga positions. It's the same with your cats. If your cat is not grooming towards the back end of the body, and all of a sudden you're taking your cat into the veterinarian or to a groomer to get shaved because it's matted, the first thing we need to do is make sure what what is your cat telling us? Is your cat in pain? Does your cat not feel good? Is something else medically going on? That is a huge cue to me, especially if it's an age-related change, quote-unquote, right? Your cat was a fastidious groomer earlier in life, and now all of a sudden looks kind of you know, kind of this matted, dull hair coat and is shedding excessively. That is your cat's body's way of saying, I need to be checked out. Something's going on. Okay, so I want to go back to the pain trace just for a moment, just to clarify that this is something veterinarians can do in clinic. It's not a medication. And it's almost like a, sort of like an EKG. You're hooked up to something. That's right. Or the pet is. Mm -hmm. Uh, And it's not only cats, it's dogs too. We're just using cats as an example and that your veterinarian can do but there is amazing news for cats because yes pain in cats is something they've felt forever and ever and the thinking was that they're small so they don't have pain (laughs) we now know that's not the case i want to talk about that but i want to talk mostly about a new cutting edge product that's out there this is one of the highlights right now that's going on And maybe another story or two you have that you, Dr. Natalie Marks, are very excited about. And we'll do that with the very exciting Dr. Marks when we come back. Dr. Natalie Marks is here on WGN. We are talking about dogs and cats and pain. And broadly speaking, we're talking about the big pet stories of 2022. Uh, And we, we, we talked about how at one point in time veterinarians didn't actually even understand that dogs and cats have the same, we now know for a fact, 
no one's opinion. It's a fact. They have the same pain pathways we do. They feel pain just as we do, but they don't always express it in the same way because they're not humans. We don't express it in the same way that a dog or a cat does. So cats are, in particular, they're like magicians. They hide pain, and they're really good at that. And you talked about some of the ways you can tell uh, your cat is in pain, and there are many, many more ways that I wish we had time to talk yeah. about here to discern if your cat is in pain. And I would argue some of those pain, uh, some of those ways might surprise even longtime cat parents who have had cats forever and ever and ever. And there have been limited ways in which veterinarians could help cats in the past. Uh, it's called, and it works, you know, depending on, it's called multimodal, mm-hmm. uh, and you'd throw one thing, one set of answers at one cat, another completely different set of solutions for another cat, non-steroidal anti-inflammatories that we take for pain, that dogs commonly take. You have to be more careful about it with cats, I believe. Some cats can't even take those, particularly geriatric cats. The other misunderstanding is it was thought that only older cats, if cats were in pain, we're talking about overweight, obese cats, which in itself is a lot of cats, mm-hmm. and, and older cats, which, of course, is a lot of cats. But it turns out middle-aged cats and even younger can suffer arthritis. That's so right. this is something that, like, wow, we didn't know all of this until recently. Now, and I'll let you talk about this. There is a so exciting solution, which I think is the best thing since tuna for cats. <laughs> it might be, Steve. Um we were talking about technology advancements, certainly before, and this truly is technology advancement in the form of treatment for pain in cats. And it's something called Silencia, and this is an injection that's given to a cat once a month, approximately. The reason that this is critically important for cats is sort of twofold. One, as you alluded to, cats are not small dogs. I guess that's the best way I can say it. They have a very different processing system within their body and their liver, and they have, unfortunately, a much higher risk of kidney disease as they age as compared to dogs. Liver and kidney are essential organs in the processing of a lot of these therapies that you mentioned for pain, which makes cats that have kidney disease, which is one in three cats in their lifetime, can't take these drugs. The other is is that some of the other medical therapies that we have had and used broad spectrum, so you know, kind of um, like an aspirin, so to speak, right, um, are not very targeted. And they can also have side effects long term on other organ systems and certainly the GI tract. Enters Silencia. So Silencia is what is called a monoclonal antibody. And what that means is this is a very targeted therapy that is natural. So antibodies we have in our body all the, all the time. These are memory proteins that help fight different conditions and they're sort of triggered like a Rolodex when they need to be activated. And then when they do their job, which in this case is blocking the pain pathways, they are sort of in a very green way. They're recycled in the body, broken down into little tiny proteins that the body reuses. So it's a much safer way and much more targeted way because we're actually going down to these messenger signals that cause pain and telling them, stop it. Yeah, <laughs> I'm here. Yeah. I'm blocking you and neutralizing you. So we have cats that can have other diseases. So kidney disease, thyroid disease, heart disease, other things where we'd be like, we're stuck. Our hands are tied. I can't give you anything because your body can't take it. Now we have just opened the floodgates to the possibility of cats who can safely 
receive pain therapy very effectively, sort of like we were talking about with cancer treatment. This is targeted, effective, and safe natural therapy, which we were, it's just mind blowing of the possibility of how many cats will be able to have pain and consistent pain relief once a month. Yeah, it's good. But, but the thing is, you have to go to your veterinarian right. once a month to do this, uh, which is a concern for some cat parents. But you have been, I have been for sure, talking about how to get cats to the veterinarian. It's possible to do, but some veterinarians will go to you. That's right. And and the thing is, is that, you know, today's veterinarian, our our goal is that we we are adapting to the changing world of families, right? I mean, we have a very different demographic a lot of times of pet ownership, and the pandemic changed things for all, including the advent of telehealth and online pharmacy and home delivery and all these things to make life much more convenient and easier for families. So if you are a pet parent today thinking, wow, I really want this for my cat. I just don't know the logistics behind it. Call your veterinarian and talk to them. We can find solutions. The goal is the same. We want your cat out of pain. Yeah, and and this product can do it. And I've seen the videos because uh, this is not an experimental thing. Because because when you talk about all natural and stuff like that, people think that. I mean, right now this has been is is happening in Europe for a while. And, yeah, yes. and you see the videos of before and after. And the extreme video example is these cats are zooming up and down the stairs that are 17, you know. So it doesn't cure per se what's going on with the arthritis, but that pain pathway isn't there. What's most important is the cat feels okay. That's right, because we know a lot of other things, again, like we talked about, are consequences of pain. When cats are painful, they don't eat. They can start breaking down their muscles, which leads to other organ stress. When cats are painful, they don't have a great bond with you. They're often reclusive or they're, you know, hiding under the bed. They're not grooming well. Um, they're not able to do a lot of a temperature regulation. You know, there's just a lot of things that happen. And so when we can have these cats that are feeling better, your family is also going to feel better because your cat will be back. You know, we we hear a lot, especially in families with senior cats who are maybe more inexperienced. Um, my cat's just old, and now it just kind of stinks because the cat just sits there, right, and doesn't do much. And I, you know, I try to interact, and my cat doesn't want to do anything, and they start to get somewhat down, um, mm-hmm. and it disrupts the human animal bond. Which oh, of course, some cats is, are euthanized before they otherwise might need, and understandably in a way, right? Because you want the quality of life to be there. That's what you talk about. And it's not, but now it can be, and our pets are living longer than ever before, so this is even more significant. We have one minute, and by the way, again, it's called Silencia, with an S-O-L-E-N-S-I-A. You got it. Is the product we're talking about. Less than a minute left. What has been the best thing about being a veterinarian in 2022? Oh, Gosh, there's so much. I know, talking to me on the radio, but beside that. (laughs) Well, the close second to that, Steve, I think (laughs) would be the possibility of the future. Because every week, um, and I'm really fortunate to be privy to be on a lot of different boards and and, um, advisory groups and panels with all the possibilities that are ahead for us to be much better connected to families and to pets and to be able to do a lot more medicine from home. So I personally am really excited about the home diagnostics 
space that is coming to us for us to be able to do better medicine from your living room. Um, all of these new technologies that are coming into treatment so we can be much more focused. And then also, I, I really love how engaged our pet parents are today. They really want the best. They want to be educated. They want to know anything I can do to make my dog or cat's life better. And, you know, watching that human animal bond always is just that bucket filling moment for me. Well, you've provided bucket filling moments for us. This is a great way to start off. What are we? 2023. I think that's right. I know. I know. Dr. (laughs) Marks. Thank you so much. Thank you, Steve. It's a little late to do this, but here are my resolutions. So, Some, in fact, all of them, I really do agree with Dr. Marks and what we both spoke about, but I have some to add to that. The Animal Cruelty Enforcement Act, I want to do what I can to see that pass. Now, what that, here's what it'll do. Uh, It will create a position at the federal level to look at animal cruelty. So right now, if someone in your community, any community, is guilty of or suspected to be guilty, not necessarily guilty, of animal cruelty, violence to animals, where does it go? Maybe to the local level, maybe, maybe, but unlikely to the state level. This way, the national government can flag these folks. There'll be a separate division in government to actually follow this. Now, I'm not saying more government is a good thing, but I am saying we know that people that are guilty of animal cruelty... Uh, We're talking about mass shooters, right? We're talking about other crimes, if not mass shooting, that they are involved in, not only to other animals repeatedly, but people as well. Another thing I want to work on is the distressing reality that I hear from you all the time, and I've experienced this. I want to see my veterinarian. Used to be you'd wait a week or two or three. Now you wait a month or two or three, even for routine care. Virtual medicine or telehealth can be part of the solution. And I want it to be part of the solution. And some are pushing back on this. And I think that puts us back in time. The reality is that many of you, especially younger people who have pets, would rather communicate that way anyway. Virtual medicine is a real thing in human health. It needs to be a real thing, I believe, in veterinary health as well. We'll talk to you next week, bright and early, right here on WGN.